It is the Everything is Marketing Podcast. My name is Eric Hulker, and today on the show, we head to Ann Arbor, to the University of Michigan, to talk to Nikki Sundstrom, Director of Social Media for the University of Michigan. And it happens now. Marketers ruin everything. Welcome to the Everything is Marketing Podcast. What I don't want to do is to pretend this is show number one. What would the hero of your life's movie do right now? Do that. Do those things. It is the Everything is Marketing podcast. I am super excited today because uh, it has taken uh, a minute for me to get Nikki Sundstrom on the line. She is the director of social media at the University of Michigan. She has a huge keynote coming up this week. Uh, They've given her an all-expense paid trip to her backyard, so she won't be doing much traveling. But she'll be talking about the new social revolution. And first, Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And second, you know, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about, which is why we've been working on uh, getting you on the podcast. But I do want to give uh, a couple minutes to talk about what you're doing on Friday, because I really feel um, this new social revolution, the idea of are you adding value to the customer's life is something that um, there are still a fair amount of brands that don't really get the joke yet. Yeah, without giving away all of the... And I don't want you, I don't want you to give away any... Yeah, I don't want you to give away any of the keynote, but I, I mean, I think this is a topic that people should be paying attention to. Sure, of course. So, you know, my background comes out of government and politics and education and everything that I've been able to accomplish in social has always been really rooted in the fact that we're adding value on these platforms. And so on Friday, I'll be talking a lot about brands that have elevated the, the values of their core organization and taken that into social to really create change amongst their consumers and their online audiences. Very cool. You can still get tickets, by the way, online. You can go to Eventbrite and just look it up. It's the uh, social media and of Michigan. You can look them up and go to SocialCon, and you will find Nikki Sundstrom. Will be. When, what time are you speaking on Friday, by the way? Oh, now you're really going to quiz me. I believe I'm on <laughs> I only, sometime before noon. <laughs> I only ask because they don't have you listed as when. They just have you that you are. So that's the only reason I'm asking. Okay, the other couple things that I want to talk about today are um, things that are, are obviously well in your wheelhouse. Uh, the University of Michigan did the first, I think that anyone had ever done, a scientific study of the effects of Snapchat on the users. And what I found really interesting as a communication student uh, and teacher is out of that study, and this is what I wanted to talk about today, is this idea that perhaps Snapchat, as aside from being three years ago, the sexting platform du jour of teenagers, uh, has become this platform that so closely resembles a face-to-face or one-to-one conversation that you actually see uh, perhaps an increase in dopamine and happiness out of using this platform. Yeah, you know, Snapchat has been really very interesting over the course of the last couple of years. I know a very popular topic on your podcast. Um, we as the University of Michigan have been on Snapchat for over two years, and it is continuously the fastest um, growing and the most engaging platform for us to interact with our students because they are the core demographic of Snapchat. What's most exciting is that we've also seen that demographic age. So now we can interact with prospective students and we can look even into young alumni and curate that story globally um, and all of the new things that Snapchat just brings towards us. And we can then manipulate and take advantage of and, and create these even better and more engaging stories that really are about increasing general connections. Um, personally, I use it kind of in a, as a replacement to meetings um, sometimes because I can stack someone back something very quickly in 10 seconds or less. 
it gets to the, the punch boring, and then I can avoid email or <laughs> and, and isn't that the, the overall goal, right, is to shorten up meetings and ignore email? Uh, but I, I don't disagree. I In mean, my life, it is. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't disagree. I've been using Snapchat prior to the video conferencing, which I now use all the time. Prior to that, I was using it for a lot of meetings and setting up business that could be done in that way where I didn't actually need anything to be signed for that very reason, because it kept me out of my inbox. And for a professional reason, I think most of us get a lot more done when we're outside of our inbox. And and that's one of the, I think one of the applications that Snapchat certainly does, because you and I had this conversation, but most people weren't following our Twitter conversation 24 months ago. What was it about Snapchat at that moment that you knew that was the time to jump in right before the tsunami started to boil? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I knew I would never be able to accomplish in my previous role in the state of Michigan on coordinating social media who has a Snapchat account for the brand, right? There was just too much negative connotation associated with the platform at that time. But when I got here to U of M and, you know, we did our homework and we aligned the numbers and it really showed so much promise that we were able to jump in and honestly kind of learn as we went. Um, And then Snapchat just kept giving us more and more things to work with. They gave us geo filters and they were community geo filters at first. We could actually ask our students to create them and work with us and build that relationship. And then, you know, they gave us the continuous feed and now our views are up because we can see that people are watching us kind of like they would a news channel. Um, they gave us two-way messaging and direct messaging became a thing. We were able to do live Q&As with orientation students over the course of the summer. Um, the platform is just so conducive to this continuous conversation that's more lighthearted and less curated than something like Instagram. Um, you know, I happen to have young children, and I have brand new interns for the summer and listening to them and the way in which they interact with these platforms is so enlightening because Instagram really does only get the best of the best. That's that's almost a false persona where, you know, everyone on Snapchat is, is sending even people they've only met once themselves dressed as a dog face looking who knows what <laughs> um, and going on about the daily basis. And and students send that stuff to us. You know, they want us to be a part of their daily lives, and we don't get that anymore in Facebook or Twitter. And I would say, because there's still a fair amount of people that I bump into that are like, I don't know about this thing that's doing 10 billion video views. I'm still kind of unsure. 10 billion video views a day? That's okay, right? But I would say, if you go to Snapchat today, one of the live stories is a, a story called Students vs. Finals. And which to me, and I don't know if you've watched it yet, captures all of the best parts of this platform. There's a student who misses her final. Her professor comes in at the last second and says she can take it the next day, and the community of Snapchat gets around her and says, don't worry, it'll be fine. And then there's just, you know, pratfall after pratfall after pratfall, just great high comedy having to do with finals that I think just, you know, 400 or so seconds kind of goes, this is what Snapchat is great at that these other platforms just can't do anymore. You know, Snapchat really is becoming must-watch TV. And I think that the stories within the last couple of weeks, um, I know I've been really advocating and educating people on just what it is that Snapchat is doing. Because when we first got Campus Story, for example, um, and we were one of the first to get it here at U of M because we were proactive on Snapchat, 
I had tons of students contacting us, either A, because they felt that we were putting something in a campus story that was inappropriate, or B, because they thought it was so damn cool. And I had to explain <laughs> to them that I wasn't actually doing campus stories, that Snapchat is the one that's out there curating your content. And starting last week, they really took that to a whole different level with their UW-Madison you know, love story and how they just took content that they saw and turned it into this instantaneous geo-filter, and here's a back-and-forth talk show, and, oh, my gosh, let's build this anticipation. Is the couple actually going to meet each other? And no other platform can touch that type of content right now. I mean, they are really in uncharted territory, and students or anybody in this demographic that's on Snapchat right now is eating it up. Well, and, and when you compare that, Nikki, to what's happening on Facebook, where they're trying to start essentially a radio morning show on Facebook Live, it speaks to the, the, the kind of tone that's happening on that platform versus what's happening in Snapchat. And as you alluded to earlier, the innovation curve that's happening on Snapchat, it's, it's aging up. It's been aging up since it started because that's what they all do. And two years from now... It, I'd be surprised if we weren't having this conversation that we're having about Facebook about Snapchat as something else kind of takes its place because right now there isn't anything hotter to talk about than what's happening in the Snapchat platform when you especially when you compare it to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Oh, I completely agree. You know, my oldest daughter is, is 13 and she consumes her daily news. Um, she's particularly instru- or interested in things like National Geographic. But her and her friends are, are watching that on the bus on the way into school. Um, they're watching it after school. And then she's forwarding me things like, hey, did you see they just did this awesome new archaeologist or uh, this dig, you know, in Greece? Our students, that's what they're going to be looking at every day. They barely touch Facebook. Um, if Facebook's in enough of its own trouble, even though... Um, they give us news for what type of news they're currently offering us. <laughs> and that was the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, because as, as two people who live in this ecosystem, this news about Facebook either juicing the trending topics or, uh, you know, depending on if the Gizmodo story is true, uh, either hiding or blacklisting or suppressing in some way any story that leans conservative uh, should raise a fair amount of eyebrows, if not red flags, about people who are using the platform, not only to consume news, but certainly to push stuff out as to what stuff the platform will actually let your audience see. Honestly, I'm quite shocked that anybody finds this surprising, to be completely honest. I mean, from a brand perspective, we know that for the last five years, Facebook has been suppressing what content our pages share with the people that like it. They pick and choose based on the algorithm, and then if you want it to go to more people, you have to pay to boost your post. Same is true for regular news. I mean, I think what's getting them there now is that we're in an election cycle um, that is already a very tumultuous time for anybody either on the liberal or conservative, um, conservative side of things. And so it's a, it's a great time for them to be called under the microscope on this issue. Um, but if anybody looked at anything, whether it be cable news or, you know, giving magazine, everyone kind of has this space. The problem is that right now, you know, can Facebook 
say that that's legitimate? And then are we going to end up getting subsidiaries of social networks that are based on certain things? I know um, there was a political social network that tried to create itself earlier this year, and, and I don't think it got a lot of traction. Um, but you create these niche networks and you interact with people that have similar ideologies. Um, but are we willing to be on a free platform, again, that we don't pay to use and be told one side of a story? And, and people don't seem to be very happy about that. Well, and, and I, I guess I, w- I would push back just a little bit on, on two points there. Like, I don't have a problem with the, the free aspect and having to pay to boost your posts if you're a brand, right? Nobody, in at least is, that should, is in the marketing space, should think that they should get free billboards or free TV or free radio. So the fact that you would think that you would get free Facebook, I, I think, is a little bit... Um, crazy. I guess what I find surprising, and I would, as a political junkie and somebody who worked in politics, I'm surprised that they're seemingly caught red-handed picking a side. Because I, I, you, you don't see the other social platforms kind of leaning that hard into one bias one way or the other. And it's it's different to go, okay, the MLive Media Group, if you don't pay to promote this post, we're not going to show it to all of your audience because we're a pay-to-play space. That's different than going, the MLive Media Group stands for X, they're Therefore, we're not going to show it no matter what you do because we don't. it doesn't fall in our political ideology or whatever it is, is that's going to be discovered now that the Senate is investigating it. You don't find that part even slightly, even if it's not surprising, you don't find it the least bit disturbing? You know, I think it'll depend on how it all shakes out because they can come at it from the perspective of the fact that while they're not allowing the content into trending topics, it could still be shared by your individual personal network. I mean, I don't think we're getting to a total censorship state yet here across the platform. As far as what I've read thus far, it's whether or not the frequency or the prevalence within your networks, it appears. But let me ask you this follow-up question as a a mother of children who are growing up in this this fast-moving river of content. How does your 13-year-old daughter learn about the world if these platforms only show her one shade of gray? She has a really great mom. If she doesn't have a really great mom, it's undeniable that you are a superwoman and do some amazing things, and they are very fortunate to have you as a mother. But you have to admit, number one, that you're an anomaly in the way that it, in which you balance all of the insanely awesome things that you do. Most people do not. And there are a fair amount of people that even that aren't 13 years old, there's a fair amount of 26-year-olds that are making sense of the world world through somebody else's lens and when you have any sort of discussion about journalism it gets a little weird when you start hearing that the man behind the curtain has i'm not trying to sound as naive as i'm sure this is going to come out you know the man behind the curtain has an agenda and you're either going to fit with that agenda or not fit with that that agenda and if you're not smart enough to figure that out you're going to be eating that soup without knowing what it's doing to you you know i don't know that that's what you opt into with the terms of service on facebook yeah no i i agree with that completely I mean, I don't think we want anybody to only receive one side of a story. It's not beneficial to any of us. But at the same time, that all of these um, sort of networks are talking about the value of diversity for them to offer us not, you know, diversity of color, perhaps, or race or religion, but not diversity of viewpoint and political ideology. I mean, that's very concerning. Um, with, with my family in particular, I want them to get the full funnel and make decisions for themselves, of course, which I think we all do. And and digital citizenship is really important right now. And to bring it full circle, I mean, more things that I'll be talking about on Friday is kind of like, what are we doing with these networks as far as encouraging and educating 
the generation coming after millennials or even millennials as a whole to say, you know, some of the behavior online is, is not appropriate. It's not okay for Facebook to give us one side of an argument. It's not okay for everyone to hop on Reddit and, you know, bully someone until they're fired from a job. Um, it is not okay to use the world's most valuable resource for cash. <laughs> no, no, it's not. All right. Nikki Sundstrom has been joining us. She is the director of social media at the University of Michigan, an amazing uh, mother of some brilliant children. I, I don't I honestly don't know how you balance all of that stuff. And if people are not following you on social, what's the best place to follow you? Like, where are you most active so that they can kind of get the best sense of the amazing stuff that you do? Yeah, you can definitely follow me at Nikki Sundstrom on Twitter. Um, that is where I'm certainly most active. And then if you just kind of want to see the, the best of the daily insights in the social media world, uh, awesome. And then I'm going to finish by asking you who you're voting for. I'm totally kidding. I'm not going to do that at all. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have a wonderful week. Cannot uh, wait to talk to you after Friday. Excited for the new keynote. Thank you so much for taking some time. Have a uh, wonderful, what is today? Wednesday. Have a great Wednesday. We'll talk uh, soon, I hope. You too, Eric. This was fantastic. Thanks so much.